Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series, held on January 23, 2019, Finally Final, the Section 965 Regs. The panelists for the webcast were Mike DeFranzo, Mike Erse, Elizabeth Nelson, and Nini Duar, all PwC tax partners in our international tax services practice. This excerpt consists of a discussion of ENP and basis, including the basis shifting election and the ordering rules. Have a listen. Okay, back to the question of do you need to amend, right, Mike? Exactly. Okay. And adjustments uh, to ENP and basis. And Mike Erse, you're going to take us through the basis shifting election. Yes. So, again, this was um, an election that, that was changed from the proposed regs to the final regs. And we always knew that you didn't get basis for what I call deficit uh, PTI, uh, earnings that were essentially covered by losses in other entities. Um, so... Now the election is not all or nothing. You're allowed to make it on any entities you want to. Um, it's just that you have to shift basis and have it have an equal reduction for every increase uh, up to the extent of the use of the deficit. So we'll go through an example to show you that. Uh, but it's more interesting is that the timing and how you make this election. So we believe you have to amend your return if it's already been filed and the deadline for that is 90 days after they publish these regulations in the Federal Register. So that is a rather short deadline. Um, the, the good news, we think, is that if you wanted to make this election, and I, and I think many companies will want to do it, you can make an amended return and make this election and still not finish up all the computational things and then do a later amended return that fixes, for example, your cash position and get you a lower tax rate. Um, and it wouldn't hurt the election you might make in, say, March or April. Um, and if previously you made an election under the proposed regs, you do have time to fix that. You have, again, 90 days after these are published in the Federal Register. So why don't we just do an example? And I think it'll show what we used to have as a rule versus what we have now. So in this picture, we have two U.S. shareholders, number two and number three, which each own foreign entities. Uh, the first two CFCs on the left had losses uh, as of uh, the measurement dates, and the U.S. three was a defect, which had earnings of $15,000, and because there was 5000 in total accumulated losses in the loss companies, those were shared and reduced the defects earnings subject to the toll charge down to 10000 So we created 5000 of what I call deficit PTI under 965B. And of course, as, as you all know, your CFOs want all the money in the defect. And they want you to get it now and not pay any tax. But if you were to look at this particular picture, US 3's basis in DFIC is only 10,000, and that essentially is your 961 basis that was created by the, the, the toll charge 965A PTI. So if you were to just remit your $15,000 out of the DFIC, 
you would have capital gain because you don't have enough basis um, to get the, all the PTI out. So what happened under the proposed regs versus the final regs? Well, under the proposed regs, it was a group election and you had to do it for everybody. So you had to basically say, I'm going to move 2,500 of basis from one over to DFIC because that's how much loss was used. And I'm gonna move 2,500 of basis from loss company two over to the DFIC. So US three would have $15,000 of basis and you'd be able to get all your PTI out. However, you would have a gain in loss company one of $500 because that use of $2,500 is, you don't have a sufficient basis to cover that shift. And CFC loss code two would have had a $2,500 gain. So um, to their credit, Treasury listened. They, and in the preamble, they said, obviously they wanna make it easier for people to access their PTI. So what the new final regulations allow you to do is pick on an entity by entity basis. And so in this instance, the only entity you'd care about is CFC loss company one. You've got some basis there that you want to use. You shift the 2000 over to the DFIC. Now my basis goes from 10,000 up to 12,000. Mm -hmm. I can access some of my bad PTI for 2000. I get 10,000 plus 2000 out of the DFIC. Your CFO has to live with the 3000 being offshore. <laughs> And as long as you reduce CFC Loss Co. 1's basis from 2000 down to zero, you've done a corresponding adjustment, which is required, and that, that's how it works. And so the, the beauty here is you don't have to trigger capital gain. You can move basis to where you need it to better access PTI. And I, I really think this is something a lot of people will look at and consider making this election. Thanks. I was going to add that this this is where when the proposed regs came out, people looked at this and people a lot of people were thinking, who's going to make this right? Because right. you know they don't have sufficient basis, so or they didn't have enough time to determine whether they should make it or not. Right. So I mean, they also have the option to revoke if they've already That's made right. it within the ninety days, which I think That's is right. is just another reason to relook at the basis election to see whether it still makes sense. Treasury did a good job on this rule. Another reason to consider many. Um, now, the the point you make too is it's tied to the publication in the Federal Register, and I'll just say we are in a government shutdown right now, and it's not clear what's open and what's not. And the Federal Register is typically published in the IRB, and it comes out, and that's where you'll you'll see the regs. I don't know the answer to this, but I I'm guessing that the Federal Register may not be publishing right now, so we may actually have a bit of a delay, and they actually may have a little more time than you might expect in normal times to, to think about this. That doesn't mean sit on your hands, but it means you've got a little extra time, maybe, uh, to look at this. Okay, ENP adjustments, Nini. Okay, so um, a couple points on the ENP adjustment. The first one is basically just a confirmation by in the final regs that um, to the extent you have a, a 965 inclusion, the 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 regs provide that you have to reduce the, the 959C3 untaxed earnings of the CFC by the amount of the, the, the PTI earnings, the 965A PTI. And to the extent that that reduction is going to cost your 959C3 to be in the deficit, that's fine. Basically, the, the final regs confirmed that the, the 
sort of relying on the concept of, of the RAP Rule 86-131 that says the total ENP, the, the sum of the ENP in the various categories of 959, so, you know, PTI and, and untaxed earnings, the, the total, the sum of that has to equal total ENP of the company. And therefore, the result of the reduction um, requirement under the, the, the regs um, could create um, a deficit in the, the 959C3 uh, earnings of the company. Um, the second point here is, um, again, a, a, a confirmation um, around how to uh, determine how the amount of the deficit or the, the determination of whether an entity is a deficit company. Uh, the, the, the way the, the I guess the DFIC um, calculates this 959-65 inclusion is you look at the post-86 earnings, but then you get to back out the PTI to come up with the amount of the, the, the positive ENP in the entity that will be picked up under 965. <laughs> but when, when you look at the, 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 term, look at, uh, the determination of the deficit company, you actually only look at post-86 ENP, which is the total ENP of the company, which includes PTI. And so the... The final regs basically confirm that, consistent with the language in the statute, um, the the determination of the deficit will will not exclude the PTI. So if you have a hundred of deficit in the company, but you also have eighty of PTI, then um, the deficit that is taken into account is going to be only twenty and and not sorry, it, yeah, it's going to be twenty, not a hundred. So your increase under the deficit increase rule would only be twenty. That's right. In that example, yeah. And then it could cause entity that you might think normally would be a deficit to not be in a deficit. If, say, flip the number and PTI is 100 and deficit is only 80, then suddenly that entity is no longer um, a deficit company. And it's not a defect either. Um, the third point um, is something that is consistent with the, the provision that was provided in the, the PTI or PTAP notice that came out where um, the Treasury basically just reiterated that um, the, the PTI or previously taxed ENP can only be distributed um, as, as a dividend. Uh, so you need 316 earnings for that. So for example, if you have um, 100 of PTI, but you have um, a deficit of 80, then you, you're not going to have 316 earnings, and therefore um, PTI cannot come out. Um, and you, you could have had that result, right, under your, your first, first bullet point, because if you didn't have enough, if you, if you had more 965 inclusion than you had E&P at the end of the year, you could have created a deficit right. in C3 that would affect then whether you actually have a PTI distribution later. Right, and, and the result could change the way you think about things. So you might say, oh, I have PTI, I should be able to bring the cash home. But then mm -hmm. under this rule, you're going to have to go to basis before you get to your PTI because you need to turn the entity into a net positive ENP before you can get the PTI out. I'm going to stay with you, Nini, with some another question. And it's one we traditionally ask, I think, on a lot of these panels is, what about the regulation surprised you? And this is maybe good and bad. Um, Maybe not totally surprising, but interesting, I think. Like, to Elizabeth's point, there are a lot of positive things. And, you know, in addition to, like, single shareholder for cash or basis adjustments, there's some additional exceptions that, that the, the final regs provide that are helpful to taxpayers. But I think that the interesting thing um, to me 
mostly center around the double counting and the ordering rules because, and we're going to go through that in detail, but the, the final regs sort of changed the way the ordering of the foreign tax credit is calculated for some of the relevant um, inclusions or dividends. And, and also the fact that the, um, the, the, the specified payment uh, provision gets expanded a little bit. It could have a pretty uh, different result uh, or impact to you know, what people have been thinking when they were doing the calculations from the, from, at the time of the proposed regs. And that's definitely a change from the proposed regs because the proposed reg preamble said that they weren't commenting on FTC calculations, that those kind of remained the same. And so it left open a lot of questions about which rules applied, you know, despite the ordering rule that we'll go into later. So it is, I think it's a good thing overall that they've effectively followed their ordering rule in terms of calculating the foreign tax credit effects of the different distributions and inclusions. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Okay, moving to the ordering rules that you just alluded to, um, Elizabeth, we'll let you take it away here with the revised ordering. So there was an ordering rule for purposes of calculating 965 amounts um, that was in the proposed regulations. It was also notice 2018-07. And essentially in the proposed reg, it applied to the toll charge year. And what they've done in the final regulations is expand the application of that ordering rule for purposes of calculating 965 amounts to uh, years which include a measurement date. Um, so that could be, for example, an 1130 CFC, uh, their 1130-17 year includes a measurement date, November 2nd. And so this ordering rule would also apply for purposes of calculating 965 amounts um, to that year. Uh, so, and really this was done because th- those distributions that may have happened that would have been affected by the ordering rule are gonna affect 965 calculations of other companies. So the five-step ordering process that was in the proposed regs that remains um, essentially unchanged was you calculate regular sub-F first, then distributions um, from one specified foreign corporation to another, then 965 amounts, including deficits, and then um, you account for other distributions that weren't accounted for in step two, and then you calculate 956 amounts. So the changes that were made in the final regulations to that ordering rule were to account for 1248 amounts, which were not, um, they weren't specified in the notice or the proposed regs. So there was a question about where where do they fall? Do they fall in step two? Um, even if you have, even if it would have been a dividend between two specified foreign corporations, um, or do they fall in step four? So you, ca- so you take them into account after you calculate your 965 amount. And what they've done in the final regulations is, is put them into step one, so you're calculating your subpart F amounts um, and your 1248 amounts and accounting for those in step one um, before you account for other distributions and your 965 amount. So I think that was probably a welcome change for some taxpayers to clarify that, that situation where they had 1248 amounts. The other thing is that in conjunction with the disregard rule that Nini is going to talk about later, Um, They did specify that if a distribution is disregarded under the Dash 4F rules um, or generally under the anti-abuse rules, then um, it's also disregarded for purposes of the ordering rule. So, for example, in Step 2, when you're accounting for specified foreign corporation to specified foreign corporation distributions, 
if that distribution is disregarded under the Dash 4 anti-abuse rules or the double count rule, it's not accounted for in step two, but rather it's accounted for after you determine your 965 amount and it could be a PTI distribution at that point. The other thing that they um, included some rules around, which we talked about earlier, is the foreign tax credit calculations. There is an existing rule in Treasury Regulation 1.960-1I, which basically says you, if you have a 960, a, D, a subpart F inclusion and a dividend in the same taxable year, that you're to calculate the 960 credit first on the subpart F inclusion and then the 902 credits with respect to the dividend. And so it wasn't clear, given that rule, what to do um, when you had the ordering rule applying the 965 regs. So what they've done is said that, that that reg exists and it does apply generally, but um, they've allowed for a change in the ordering um, of the deemed paid credit calculations to follow more the ordering rule. And so there, um, under that special change in the FTC calculations, deemed paid credits are first calculated with respect to any regular subpart F calculations that you might have. So that's kind of step one in the ordering rule. Also 1248 amounts, you calculate the deemed paid credits. Then you account for um, you know, regarded specified foreign corporation to specified foreign corporation dividends. So there you could have a 902 um, credit that's calculated to account for those distributions. And then you calculate the deemed paid credits for 965 inclusions and 956, and then for other dividends. So that, I think, was a welcome change for some taxpayers to follow more the ordering rule so that you could account properly for the credits and not, for example, have all the credits taken up under the 965 calculation like they could potentially have been with application of the rule that we had in um, the existing final regulations at the time the proposed regs were issued. Yeah, so you wouldn't have a haircut on your 1248 credit. Right. And I think this is where like people were concerned about back in the proposed regs time, right, because the, the, right. the taxes that come with 965 would get haircut. And, and I think the, the earlier point on the on the redetermination of the disregarded transaction, that's kind of needed because back then when we just had the proposed regs, they there was no coordination between the ordering rule and the disregard rule. Sure. So that that is sort of necessary to kind of coordinate the two provisions. So here we're going to move on to a, an example of the deemed paid credit calculation and, and kind of the new ordering that's provided for in the 965 final regulations. And here we have USP owning two different um, calendar year CFCs, CFC 1 and CFC 2. And there is uh, 965 amounts that are calculated for both, but there are also subpart F amounts that are, are calculated before the measurement dates. And so if we start with CFC, and we have some distributions that are between the CFCs as well as up to USP. So if we, if we concentrate on the 902, 960 consequences and we look first at CFC2, they had a subpart F inclusion of 20, and so under the new ordering of your deemed paid credit calculations, that's calculated first. And we have um, $3.5 of taxes then that are associated, 960 credit associated with that subpart F inclusion. Then we account for the distribution between CFC2 and CFC1, and that's um, we've specified here that that's not disregarded under the Dash 4 rules, and so it's taken into account in step two of the ordering rule. And so we're calculating a 902 credit for the dividend that gets paid up. Um, we have a $40 distribution, but 20 of that is the subpart F PTI. 
and 20 is C3 earnings that move up on which we're calculating a 902 credit. Then, um, then we calculate the Dean Pay credit with respect to the 965 amount that is taken into account by CFC2, and that is um, $80, $80 um, that is then, we calculate 14 of taxes on that Dean Paid credit with respect to 965 that is subject to the disallowance under 965G, so it gets haircut. Then we look to CFC1, the credits that we calculated, the 902 credits that we got on the distribution from CFC2 to CFC1 are added to the pool at CFC1, and then um, we follow the ordering rule. So the subpart F calculation is first um, because they also had subpart F of 30, and so we calculate the deemed paid credit there on the subpart F inclusion, um, and then we calculate the deemed paid credits on the 965 inclusion. And so this ordering rule is also providing for um, an ordering with respect to two different subpart F inclusions, which I think there was also confusion about, particularly in fact patterns where your numerator in your deemed paid credit calculation exceeded your denominator because there is no E&P limit for 965. And so here, I think this, this ordering has provided us with a deemed paid credit calculated first for sub F and then for 965 inclusions. So it's also provided an ordering rule in that fact pattern, even if you didn't have a dividend distribution that was regarded. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the speakers. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you. Mm-hmm.